Hello, everyone, and welcome to MLS Assist, a podcast created to give insight into Major League Soccer's on-field action. My name is Joe Lowry, and on today's show, myself and Jordan Angeli sink our teeth directly into the Galaxy's 3-2 win over the New York Red Bulls from MLS's second week. What did we see from Greg Vanny's Galaxy and Gerhard Struber's Red Bulls? Well, we'll talk about that. Then, after we talk about all that, it's on to the return of tactical tidbits. It's go time, folks. Let's do this thing. Jordan, that was fun. To peel back the curtain a little bit, we're recording right after the the Galaxy Red Bulls game because, Jordan, you, you're a big soccer person. you got a lot of soccer things to do, so we're shifting our recording day a little bit earlier. That game... Uh, Fiorentino Perez might be all about shortening soccer games to appeal to young people, but uh, even with those 10 minutes of stoppage time at the end, <laughs> this was a good one in MLS's second week. Yeah, and let's not pretend we're shifting this, too, because it's it's us. There's there's only one game on Sunday in MLS, which is also <laughs> kind of weird, right? We, I mean, we had we 87 on Saturday. Games. True, it did feel like 87. I was like, what did I just watch? What belongs to what game? Um, no, I, I agree. That was a entertaining game with a lot of, a lot of moments that kept you engaged and some moments that you were just like, hmm, okay, what's actually happening here? We, you can still tell it's the beginning of the season and there's yeah. a, a long way to go, but it was good. I liked Chicharito's. He's been given some good interviews and afterwards he's like, I, I think that's the longest stoppage time I've ever <laughs> experienced in my whole career. <laughs> Yeah, on the broadcast, John Strong and Stu Holden said that might be a record, and I don't know that that it is, but 10 minutes is a long time. This game Mm -hmm. was wild. We're going to try to boil it down as much as we can. You're right to point out, Jordan, this is still early season. We don't want to be reading too much into anything yet. The sample size is still pretty small, and we can see that it's early season and with how some of the players are still playing and how they're adjusting and all that kind of stuff. But we've got two new to new-ish coaches, meaning Greg Vanny's new to the Galaxy. Gerhard Struber's pretty much new to the Red Bulls. He coached one playoff game last year against the Columbus Crew. So this is his first full season in MLS with the Red Bulls in MLS at all. So what we kind of want to do, we did a similar thing last week with Austin FC, is talk about how these two teams looked under their new managers. Jordan, let's start with the Galaxy. From what you saw in this game, and it changed and it was fluid at times, sure, how did they set up under Greg Vanny at a basic level? They set up in a 4-2-3-1. It sometimes looked like a 4-3-3. I would say in the second half, there were moments where it looked yeah. like a 4-3-3 with the adjustments from the New York Red Bulls. But mostly as a 4-2-3-1. I think it was a lot of what we've known of Greg Vanny and how he wants to build out of that system and really play through the lines to try to... I think when the Galaxy were at their best, that's what they were doing is they were playing through the lines and really controlling the possession. Yeah, and that's that's hard to do against the Red Bulls to look at how they set up in this game. Gerard Struber has this team playing exactly like what you would expect a Red Bulls team to play like. They have gone full pedal to the metal. All gas, no breaks. Mm-hmm. They are... They're looking, I know, only two weeks in, but they're looking like one of the most aggressive teams in MLS that I remember. You know, I have a really bad memory. I've said it on the show before. I have the memory of a goldfish. But they are going all out. And in this game, it's like they take, I mean, we saw this last week against Sporting Kansas City. They take the opposing team's game plan, the game plan that you just described for the Galaxy. We want to play with the ball. We want to do similar-ish mm-hmm. things to what Greg Vanny did in Toronto. 
the Red Bulls took that and kind of just put it through a meat grinder a little bit. And we saw glimpses from the Galaxy of that nice possession, especially on Chicharito's second goal of his hat trick, which we'll talk about in a little Mm -hmm. bit. But we saw glimpses of the Galaxy doing what they want to do. But credit to the Red Bulls. They had some defensive errors. They had some mistakes in their overall pressing. And they had some poor moments with the ball. But by and large, for at least long stretches of this match, I thought they controlled the game without the ball, which is a really hard thing to do. Yeah, and I think one thing that they did that in disrupting Galaxy, if they want to be a team that does possess, what they did is through their high pressure, they forced Galaxy to get into this cat and mouse game of chasing and long dribbles. How many long dribbles did we see through the center of the park in this game? I think maybe... The, maybe the most I've seen in a long time because the lines were so stretched. Each team was high pressing at other, at either end. And it just created this huge gap in, in the middle of the field that they would dribble out of. And I think for the Galaxy, they were much better when they got numbers around the ball, which they like to do. And they can utilize their players like, uh, Vasquez and Dos Santos and the, the new kid. What's the young yeah, kid's Adam, name? Adam Saldana. Yeah. Saldana, they could utilize them to get in tight spaces and play make a little bit and have some creativity in small spaces. But I think you're right in controlling the tempo of the game. The Red Bulls did a good job of high pressing and making them try to go long right away. And when the Galaxy were were faced with that pressure, I think their saving grace really was Victor Vasquez in this game. He started as a number 10 at the beginning in that 4-2-3-1 that you're talking about, almost as this classic old school number 10, because he doesn't have the legs anymore to do the running that you would expect from a number 10 in modern soccer. We see Emmanuel Reynoso from Minnesota United run. We see Nico Ladero run. We see Lucas Elrayon run at times. Victor Vasquez doesn't really do that at this point, and Man, even still, he's so fun to watch. And in this game for the Galaxy, he was getting on the ball in the middle. And he was bringing the ball down out of the air and playing a ball in behind for one of the front runners for the Galaxy. Or he was drifting over to that left wing, getting on the ball and then playing passes with his right foot, playing little combinations and, and doing, mm-hmm. doing quick little tight touches on that left side. He has such a fluid role for the Galaxy. And, and even in that fluidity, we saw a bit of a change with how the Galaxy structured themselves in that first half. Early on, it was Vasquez as the 10. Ethan Zubak, who came off the bench last week against Inter-Miami, Zubak was the left midfielder in that 4-2-3-1-4-4-2. That swapped. Mm-hmm. And it swapped almost so naturally that it was, it took me, it took me a minute to recognize that they'd swapped places because Vasquez was kind of doing that anyway. But Victor Vasquez then shifted out wide to the left, and Ethan Zubak went up top. And Jordan, on the broadcast, Greg Vanny had that interview in the second half that Fox does with the coaches. Some of those interviews are great. Some of them are not so great. This one was really good, I thought, because Greg Vanny talked about Ethan Zubak as that depth runner, their their depth runner to go in behind and create space for Chicharito. I didn't expect the Galaxy to come out here and run a 4-4-2 for stretches of, the, of these mm-hmm. games, even though sometimes it looks different, 4-3-3, 4-2-3-1. They're kind of making that 4-4-2 old school kind of thing work for them. Yeah, I thought so too. And what's interesting, and when you say that he was a depth runner, he was, but also he wasn't. He would pick up the ball in front of the back line and dribble with conviction at the back line and commit all these players. I thought he was one of the best players on the dribble in the game as well, which is opposite of the depth run that Vanny was talking about. But I think having that duality in his game makes him a difficult player to defend, and the Red Bulls had a difficult time defending him. 
coming into this year, I was never expecting even two weeks into the season, to be talking really about Ethan Zubak at all with the Galaxy. Right. I mean, they have Efra Alvarez, Victor Vasquez. They they brought in two yeah. wingers from France. And I know I know one of them still getting integrated into this team, Kevin Cabral. And then they have Chicharito up top. And it feels like they have plenty of attacking options that Ethan Zubak really doesn't need to be a part of that conversation. But in this game, he continued to play himself into that conversation. And I think he's largely or at least partially responsible for the five goals that Chicharito has scored, or maybe not all of them individually, but already this season, a, a brace in week one and now a hat trick in week two, Chicharito's uh-huh. finding space. And from what I can tell from watching, a lot of that has to do with even Ethan Zubak occupying defenders and, and creating depth or even pulling them deeper into midfield for Chicharito to run in beyond. I'm almost wondering, are we going to see a 4-4-2? And I don't know the answer to the question. Maybe you don't either. Are we going to see a 4-4-2 from the Galaxy for the next few games kind of going more old school? I feel like they might drift in and out because it seemed, like you said, it was really fluid from them that you you didn't even notice that it happened at times because they shifted in and out of it so well. So I, I do think that they're, with the experience that they have, I mean, think, it, think about the players they have on the pitch and the international, not only club international experience, but on on the you know, representing your country, what these these players have done, I think that they have the ability to make those adjustments or that to be relayed to them and to utilize that right away. So I think maybe one of the things with Greg Vanny's LA team this year is they will look different from game to game and not so rigid in a formation all the time. Yeah, and that's a really good point because doing research for the season to start and thinking back to Vanny's Toronto teams. I mean, we've talked about this before. They were fluid. They weren't consistent with their their alignment in possession. It would be a 4-4-2 diamond. It would be a 3-5-2. It would be diamond, right. uh, a, a flat 4-4-2 with the wingers tucking inside, and then it would look like a 4-2-2-2. I mean, the list goes on and on of what Vanny was willing to try in Toronto. And, and you're absolutely right, Jordan. It does seem like that could be something we see from them going forward this season with the Galaxy? Because we saw a different alignment from week one even to this week. Yeah, and I'm not sure about the three-back with the the defenders. I mean, Chicharito gets a hat trick, and they they nearly pass their way into a tie game. Yeah, the Galaxy had some defensive miscues and some some miscues by their defenders on the ball in this game, a couple in the later stages that caused them some trouble with that one-goal lead. We've talked a lot about the Galaxy, and we're going to do it a little bit more before we we kind of get to the Red Bulls again because, Jordan, we, we have to talk about at least one of Chicharito's goals. And the the chosen one, the pick of the litter for me and I hope for both of us is his second goal. So he gets one in the ninth minute and then the second one comes in the 41st minute. The Galaxy are in possession on their right side. They move the ball over from the right all the way to the left. Victor Vasquez is hanging out in his his left pocket over there on the, on that left wing. He gets on the ball and whips the ball into the box for Chicharito, who brings it down, finishes beautifully. It's called offside, and then they they right the ship. It is right. it's a phenomenal goal, Jordan. It's a thirteen pass sequence from right to left, and I think best of all, it exposes it exposes how the Red Bulls defended in this game, especially in the first half with how Gerard Struber set mm-hmm. them up. What did you see from this goal, from the Red Bulls, from the Galaxy, wherever you want to take this? Yeah, I, I think that because of the way that the Red Bulls were set up in the first half, it was a 3-5-2. I think a lot of the times, especially as they built up, it looked like a 3-1-4-2. Um, but those three center backs, is, or those three defenders, I think got exploited in this 
situation because it shifts into a five back, right? When they're defending those players as the wing backs come into the back line and they help out with the defensive responsibilities. But if there is a miscommunication between the wing back and that nearsighted center back, there can be a half space. And I think one of the things that's important to talk about, Joe, is when you and I talk about half space, it's normally internally. It's inside on the field. And this half space actually is in between the lines of that three back and that wing back or the, the midfield line there for Red Bulls. And that's where Vasquez is holding himself in that little space. So it pulls that right-sided center back out and just disrupts that line. It even goes one layer further because you're spot on. It's Florian Velo playing as a right wing back in this game, which I was really excited to see. I don't think I've seen him in that spot before, but he's that right wing back in the 3-5-2, the three, whatever you want to call it, number, 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 insert numbers here. Florian Velo played that right wing back spot. And as the Galaxy switched it from the far side, from Julian Araujo's side, over to Jorge Villafaña, Valo is the first player to step. And so he steps up to Villafaña. And then after that, it's Victor Vasquez who gets on the ball from Villafaña. And Aaron Long has to step because Florian Valo has already had to step. Then Long's way out of position. And Chicharito is just hanging out between Tarek and Nilas. Neither one of those guys seems to be aware of what's going on. Chicharito gets on the ball after that beautiful whipped in cross pass, early cross, whatever. Oh, uh, almost words can't beautiful. describe that ball. Go look it up. It people. was so beautiful. beautiful. That's probably the best word. It really was. So it's that domino effect of Velo stepping mm-hmm. out, then Aaron Long stepping out, then the other center backs being caught unaware. But the domino effect, I would argue, didn't even really start with Velo. We see it with Velo. But this all happens. The Galaxy can switch possession so easily because of how narrow the Red Bulls midfield is. They're playing that 5-3-2. The three are are pretty tight. They're pretty compact. It's not a line of four. It's a line of three. There's space on the weak side. The Galaxy see that space. And because there's no right midfielder there, Florian Velo is supposed to be connected to his back line. And as he steps, it all comes crumbling down. This sequence is beautiful. And it exposed that that 3-5-2. And I I almost wonder if that's part of the reason why Gerhard Struber changed things up and went to the 4-4-2 diamond in the second half. You don't get a lot more width there, but he might have seen something that that required a defensive shift. Well, it just felt to me, Joe, and I don't know if, if this is how it felt to you, like a little clunky in the first half for the Red Bulls. Like like it was that, that there was one person stepping or a group of players stepping and then it wasn't all together and it would break down. Or even when they would get the ball, it didn't feel like it was as connected as it could be. And this could be because this is a a really new way of thinking for maybe some of these players and a new aggressive form of how to play forward or um, track back defensively. And I think that three, five, two, it just, for me, it didn't work. And, and I think that's one of the reasons of the disconnection between um, when to step and the indecision in those moments just caused a breakdown, a domino effect. I thought the 4-4-2 diamond looked a lot better. I'm totally with you. In that second half, yeah. the Red Bulls threatened coming out of the break. Then they, they concede another goal and go down 3-1. to one. But they showed some good moments. Greg Vanny, again, in that mid-game interview, talked about how the Galaxy were chasing shadows a little bit after the Red Bulls changed things up. And so that did cause, that switch from Struber at halftime did right. cause the Red Bulls some problems. And it's a switch back to what the Red Bulls did in Week 1 against Sporting Kansas City, where they played 
pretty well in their own Red Bullian kind of way. They played really aggressive. They played <laughs> physical. They won a lot of duels. Yeah. They they restarted a lot of possessions and created transition opportunities. They kind of got back to that a little bit in the second half. And they they done a fairly okay job in the first half as well. But I think it's something to watch for. That diamond seems to be the go-to for Gerhard Struber right now. Well, well, also because of the transitions I was talking about earlier, how when the ball gets turned over and there's so many players pushed forward, well, that outlet pass can be a good option. And because of the diamond then in the second half, there were more Red Bulls players centrally so they could win the second ball, they could win the first ball, and then regain possession. I feel like that helped them too, just picking up those balls that they weren't able to chase down in the first half. I totally agree. And I like Caden Clark as that number 10. He still has a lot of room to grow. Mm -hmm. He's weirdly unbalanced when he runs sometimes. It looks like he's going to fall over. But he does some nice (laughs) things on the ball. He drew some some fouls in this game. He had a one or two dangerous attempts in the box from a shooting standpoint. Mm -hmm. He looks like the guy who should be starting at the 10. He didn't start at the 10 against SKC last week. That was Christian Caceres. But it, it seems like Clark... Again, don't want to draw too many conclusions, but he could be that 10. We also saw off the bench in this game, Cameron Harper, a young American player coming back over to the United States from Celtic. And we saw Frankie Amaya, who got uh, a few minutes at the end of this game. Actually, it ended up probably being close to 20 with all that stoppage time. <laughs> right. But we saw Frankie Amaya in his debut for the Red Bulls after that trade from Cincinnati. There is some talent here for the for the New York Red Bulls. I don't know how far that talent will get them and how far their system can get them if that talent doesn't get them far enough. But there are some pieces, both tactically and from a personnel standpoint, that I think should have Red Bull fans feeling at least kind of okay after week two. No, I agree. And and one of the things I found really interesting, and this actually, I, I noticed it more in the first half, was just how they use their defensive pressure to pin a team in and I'm always curious about how okay if you're going to high press well what's the outcome like what do you want to do and to me it no I don't know if you noticed this too Joe but when the Red Bulls were in those transition moments and either it was a counter press moment or the LA Galaxy was trying to build out of the back and they noticed it was a time where they could go press they really tried to pin the galaxy to one side. Once that player on the the top of the diamond, maybe it was white, decided, okay, he's going at the center back and going to pin him to the left side. They would use the sideline as an, an additional defender and just hound that space with numbers. And so then when they, you start to think, okay, if they start to win these duels in those areas, they are going to have opportunities because they have so many players around the ball to then quick transition going forward. So there are pieces there that I think for Struber, you're, you're excited about how it's, it's going. But again, I think a lot more work is going to be done in those, those small moments to add to, okay, how does this team perform throughout 90 minutes? And I think, I, I don't think there's, a lot to worry about for Schubert because you see moments like that where they all are together and things are working properly. Man, this game and this season already so far has me excited. This it's game wild. was end to end in moments. We saw it. We saw two. We saw two clear ways of playing. That's pretty cool. From two coaches joining up with new teams. Last week we talked about Austin FC. They have a clear identity. Now the Galaxy. They have an identity. It's still. It's still forming. We're not seeing a ton of these super cohesive team-wide possession moves that we did see on the Galaxy's second goal. Those aren't 
those aren't dropping from the sky. They're, they're not coming from everywhere right now for the galaxy, but we are seeing some nice moments. We are seeing Chicharito mm-hmm. get on right. the end of balls in good spots. And for the galaxy, that's kind of the most important thing. The rest is just gravy. <laughs> We're seeing some, some nice yeah. things from the galaxy. We're seeing those pressing moments where they can trap, where, where the Red Bulls can trap against the sideline, win the ball and go forward quickly. We're seeing their identity. And already in week two, the fact that we can actually talk about what these two teams are doing tactically, that is a good sign for me, for how this season is right. going to go. Yeah. Everything could come crashing down, but I like it. No, I agree. We've seen some some cool things already. And I, I saw someone today just walking around Columbus, uh, Cheyenne. She does. Uh, there's a blog she does called Between Two Clean Sheets. Or put, oh, yeah. between clean sheets, I think it's called. Yeah, you probably know Shane. Um, and she, w- we were just talking about how it's only week two, and like, all the exciting things that have already happened. <laughs> so it it is. It's it's fun to be back here and get to talk about these detailed things and d- how diverse this league really is. We're not done, folks. We are done with the Galaxy Red Ooh. Bulls discussion. That three two win for the Los Angeles Galaxy in week two. Now it's time for the return of a segment that we haven't had in quite some time. Tactical tidbits. <laughs> We're going to, Jordan and I are both going to hit you all with a quick little tactical thing that we noticed from watching games this weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, mm-hmm. whatever it is. Jordan, I will kindly invite you to drop your tactical tidbit first. Okay, I'll go first. I'm going to Club de Foot Montreal. Oh, yeah. Yeah, CF Montreal. Uh, you know, we li- we just like saying it sometimes because it's <laughs> such a new thing to us. So for for them, they're playing against Nashville. It ends up being a 2-2 draw. One of the things I've noticed in their first two games is how they set up. And Wilfred Nancy is ha- has them in a, a 3-5-2. And when they're building... I think the most interesting thing for me right now is how they're using Georgie Mihailovic as that pivotal player for them. So he's coming in thinking, all right, I'm going to play under Thierry Henry. This is going to be so great. I'm going to learn all these things. And I actually feel like what Wilfred Nancy is doing here early in the season is really utilizing a lot of Mihailovic's um, ability to hold up the ball to be good on the dribble, but also his distribution in this role. So in a 3-5-2, he's sitting underneath these two wide front runners and he is that pivotal player that he is the outlet and then he springs the two front runners through. It's Toy and Kyoto have been the, the two front runners that have started the last two games. But it's Mihailovic's movement in those defensive structures uh, for Montreal. So when they sit deep, they're in a, a, a five back with two players in front of them. They're two holding mids. And every time they win the ball, it is a quick transition. Try to find Mihailovic and then spring one of those two forwards. They've scored a number of goals in uh, transition already and shown that they can be very dangerous in this formation. So I just like how he's using Mihailovic in that role. And it it makes sense to me, right? I wouldn't have thought about this yeah. hybrid, fluid three five two, and then sometimes defensively, Georgie even steps up between those two forwards, and it's almost like a five two three, and he's playing as a nine, and then in possession, he'll drift over to the left. It's super fluid, right? But it makes sense, even though I might not have been smart enough to think about it or to draw it up on paper. Wilfred Nancy is using George Mihailovic as a non traditional number ten. We talked about Victor Vasquez; he's pulling the strings. Georgie Mihailovic. He's kind of doing that, but he's also kind of not doing that. He's not dominating the ball. He's not breaking a ton of lines with his passing and, and always playing through, playing these lovely through balls to Mason Toy or to Romel Kyoto. Mm-hmm. He's almost just connecting. He's almost just playing yeah. as 
as a, as a pivot. Instead of a pivot a between pivot defense player. and midfield, he's playing as a pivot and an attacking pivot between midfield mm-hmm. and, and the forward line. He's perfect for that role because he's not this ball dominant creator. He's really not, but he is a connector. Yeah, and I think it also suits him well because then those players can stretch the line and he can arrive in the box and finish on those ar- arriving runs, which he's shown over his years he's good at. He's good at coming out of the midfield, timing those runs, and, and getting a strike on goal. So I do think there's going to be opportunities for him uh, just as that pivot and even goal scoring. I, I He scored a goal already, but in that late run into the box type of movement as well. So I liked that... Um just interesting to see how Montreal was setting up and, and what they're doing so far. What do you have, Joe? Montreal are fun. Yeah, I, I'm going to carry us forward yeah. uh, along that, that theme that we talked about in the Galaxy Red Bulls game, that theme of narrow midfields. We saw it from the Red Bulls really in both halves. It, at first, it's the the 1-2 kind of midfield alignment in their 3-5-2 or a 2-1 alignment, doesn't matter. And then in the second half, it's the diamond. The Philadelphia Union played their classic diamond midfield shape against Inter-Miami in, in Miami's comeback win, where the brothers Iguain scored the two goals in the second half. That was that was pretty did awesome. You, did you listen to Ray Hudson's call of that? I didn't, but oh my gosh, please tell oh me about gosh. it. Oh my gosh, you... You have to listen to it. He talks about their how their bald heads were shining and how <laughs> on the second goal, goal uh, Pipa's goal, he was like a young salmon in a spring river jumping out. It was just, he's just so funny in his descriptions. But the shining heads from space or something, it was, it was good. I got to find it and send it to you. Jordan, that was, that was fantastic. Number one, please send it to me. Number two, uh, I think you need to start dropping some of these Ray Hudsonisms on your broadcast. I don't know. Like, like if I don't it's, tune into I'm ESPN not, I don't Plus, feel like I'm good at it. If if I don't <laughs> tune into ESPN Plus and hear you, and, and you're not talking about salmon or shining heads or whatever right. one you choose, I'm going to be a little disappointed. Not not a ton disappointed, Eek, but definitely so a little pressure. disappointed. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'll take the pressure off of you at least for the rest of the show. Okay. In this game, in this in this Union into Miami game, we see Phil Neville. Another look at what he's doing with Miami. They're in a 4-2-3-1 against the Union's 4-4-2 diamond. And with the diamond, just like you talked about it with the Red Bulls, you often find yourself, if you're the Union, pressing up against the sideline and really trying to push play over to one side, trap, win the ball, and play forward quickly. And in the in the first 15 minutes of this game, the Union did that really, really well. Inter-Miami were kind of lost. They couldn't figure out how to switch the point of attack. They lost the ball twice in the first five minutes. They lost the ball by fouling uh, another time a few minutes later. They were struggling, but then, Jordan, they came up with a really unique way of getting out of that pressure. They started They started when they're trapped on their sidelines and the ball would go out of play. They started just throwing the ball across the vertical midline of the field. Kelvin Leardam would just kind of chuck the ball in a controlled way, but he just chucked the ball from his right back spot as the, the throw-in guy on that right side past that trap, just right over the trap into Blaise Matuidi or into whoever it was in midfield or dropping down from that forward line. And just like that, Inter-Miami are out of the diamond trap. They made it look Mm -hmm. really easy. And I think those moments didn't directly lead to their goals, at least not as far as I can remember. But being able to play out of pressure, beat that trap, get the ball to the weak side, and then attack quickly, that's really important. You create chances from doing that. And Miami put together a blueprint that if we don't see other teams try to do against New York or against the Union, those teams are missing opportunities. That's so funny that you say that because last week in the crew game, I called the game on the radio against Philadelphia. 
And I said that. I said the crew have a throw-in plan against Philadelphia. It was a little bounce pass. The the player throwing it in, it was Milton Valenzuela on the, the near side, would play throw it into Perry Kitchen, just bounce pass it back to him. Yeah. And Valenzuela played it all the way across to Awful. And it was like, straight ball, straight across the lines. And because it was so quick, it broke everything. It broke everything down. And so yeah. I think that is a really good, I mean, two different throw in plays, sure. but the same result and against a team who squeezes so hard to the sideline. And there's no reason not to do that kind of stuff. It, I was getting, I was getting a little bit frustrated. I actually liked a lot of what Inter Miami did in this game. I think it was a deserved win for them or at least a strong performance from mm-hmm. them to actually go out and, and play hard and be the better team for stretches of this game against a very good MLS team in the Union. But I was getting a little frustrated in the first 15 minutes after they kept losing the ball. How do you go into a game against the Union and not expect to be trapped against the sideline? I get it that yeah. it's it's hard to deal with that pressure. I get it that there's a lot of things happening and, and a lot of things going on at the same time. Your mind is going a million miles an hour. But you have to be ready to switch the point of attack, to break out of that trap right. and to play forward. You know where the space is. If you've watched 10 minutes of film on the Union, you know where the space is. And Miami did figure it out. They did eventually figure out how to play out of that trap. And yeah, there's no reason for teams not to try to adopt that, that Kelvin Leardown throwing strategy or that Valenzuela Perry Kitchen combo bounce pass and then you're switching it mm-hmm. over to the weak side. There's no reason that we shouldn't see this stuff. So I'm going to be watching for it, Jordan. I'm going to be keeping my yeah. eyes out for this kind of thing. If you're not using your throw-ins effectively, you're not, you're not right. trying. You're not, uh, there, there's, a, there's a bad soccer oh, expression we're, we're that I could have made up in there. We're also sucker for throw-ins. We are. We're also a sucker for throw-ins and their how they are underutilized. So I I feel like I love that we both geeked out about it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that too. Coaches spend ten minutes at the end of a couple of training sessions a week working on throw-ins, and uh, we'll talk about you in a nice way on our podcast. I don't know what better incentive there is than that. <laughs> We Jordan. Promise. <laughs> <laughs> Jordan, that is it. We have done it. Week two is in the books. Thank you, as always, for joining me. I truly appreciate it. Yeah, it was so much fun. And also, I do have to add, I have a, a one tally for my oh, San Jose Earthquakes. Very specific prediction. I've got a tally. I've got a tally mark. Four goals in that game. So just tally me up. <laughs> yeah, uh, quickly, my uh, my inverted right back for Austin prediction is going to be toast because Christian Gutierrez, the Whitecaps left back, He's doing all the inverting in the Western Conference. He oh, is playing great. as a central midfielder in possession. Nick Lima, step it up, Come on, buddy. Christian. I, I need you. I need you. <laughs> or yeah, or Gutierrez needs to stop. Either way, listeners, thank you all for listening. We will be back again soon. <laughs>